Welcome to the Aftershock Central Podcast with Martin Travis. What is up, my man? Oh, I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm trying to retire and you guys won't let me. Yeah, it's like the Godfather 3, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no getting out. There's no getting out. Once you're in the mob, you're always in the mob. Yeah, dude. ACP or die. <laughs> uh, yes, sure. Uh, you know, I'm getting close to 40, so uh, maybe that'll be my way out. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to be discussing shoplifters will be liquidated, number three. I'm glad I said that right, because every time I got a tweet about this book or something, I always say shoplifters will be prosecuted. <laughs> Uh, and we'll also discuss you are obsolete number four, but first, Travis, we have a new book that was announced. Yes. So I hear. Why don't you tell me about it? I'm going to tell you about it since, uh, you're a slacker and didn't read the link that I sent you. Uh, coming March 18th, 2020. Can you believe it's almost 2020? Jesus Christ. Uh, brand new book, Artemis and the Assassin. This is written by Stephanie Phillips whom I think we can say we all love. Oh, yeah. Art by uh, Megan Hetrick and Francesca Fantini. Uh, I believe I, – I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say. I, I think Megan's doing the covers, but maybe she's doing some interiors. There might be a little back and forth on this. Uh, I didn't look too much at the preview pages. Uh, but Megan is fantastic. Uh, I think the pages – I don't know. I see at least one page. Uh, okay, most of the pages are by Fantini. Yes. All right. Yes. We have colors by Lauren Affey and letters by Troy Pateri. Man, see, they should find like a female letterer. Then you can have an all, all-star female team. Uh, anyways, the book tells the story of a time-traveling mercenary sent to disrupt historical events by assassinating key figures of the past. The top mercenary of the agency, Maya, is sent to World War II to kill Virginia Hall, a deadly spy carrying plans with uh, with details on the invasion of Normandy. After they meet, Maya and Virginia's circumstances change, and the two lead off to set off on time-traveling adventure. Do you like time-traveling adventures? Generally, yeah. Generally? Yeah. Uh, You know, like, there's, there's different ways to approach it. Obviously, like I don't, you know, we don't have to get into the whole thing, but you know, like it's tough to tell a good time travel story, you know, because mm-hmm. if you're trying to have something that makes sense, it, it like you're going uphill the whole way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the other way is just kind of more going towards like a wacky comic booky, you know, like ty- type uh, approach. Um, yeah. So I don't know if that's more the direction they're going, you know, like a la, you know, uh, Fujitsu or something, you know? Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Stephanie is great, so I'm sure she's got a plan. I like how she's sticking to, uh, what she really likes. And, uh, that's, that's like history, right? Historical figures. Uh, we had that in the book that just wrapped up for Aftershock. She's got a new book. I can't remember what the publisher is. Uh, Butcher of Paris, that's based on uh, a real-life serial killer. Um, I think Dark Horse, that's who puts that out. And then you have this one, because uh, Virginia Hall is a, a real-life figure. 
Uh, she was a spy in, in World War II, so that's cool. I like it. It's uh, trying to make uh, us research stuff. Well, that's why I like it. Because then I can go into many, many rabbit holes after I read these books. So, yeah, maybe we should get kind of uh, you know, like a list of citations or something, so we can. <laughs> sure, Travis. If it makes you feel better, I will. Uh, I will do citations for you. Yeah, I, I do feel better. Thank you. You're quite welcome. You're quite welcome. Uh, so that's, uh, I believe, the only announcement. Which yes. book would you like to talk about first? Uh, I mean, you, you mentioned, uh, you are obsolete earlier, referenced it. So, like, I, I, I think we can jump into that one first. All right. You are obsolete number four. Not you, Travis. It's just the name of the book. Uh, well, written by Matthew Clickstein with art by Evgenev Bornyakov, le- uh, colors by Lauren Affey and letters by Simon Bolin. How'd you feel about this one? A lot of shrooms in this book. More than usual, sure. Uh, <laughs> which I, I don't know. Like I, I know she's been, you know, like partying the whole time she's been in this town, you yes. know. Uh, but I don't know why she would go for you know shrooms in this. Even like I don't know, like it just seems like a weird choice given the kind of like she's already seen people been killed, right? Mm-hmm. So now she's like she understands the scary situation and and yet she's like, oh, yeah, let me get like super effed up, you know, like let me let me get into like a weird headspace and see what happens. <laughs> you know, let's go to this mysterious thing. Well, I mean, my question to you would be why not mushrooms? Because, uh, I mean, what else is she going to do? Like, she's not going to get drunk. She's a freaking millennial. Millennials don't get drunk. She's been getting drunk the whole time, dude. Well, I guess. But shrooms, it lets you see things in a different way, you know what I mean? So maybe that's what she's trying to do here. She's trying to kind of cope with it by expanding her horizons a little bit. Oof. I mean, I I just, uh, you know, I'm not sure. It just seems like you are setting yourself up for a bad trip if you are in, like you know, menacing circumstances and, (laughs) you know, like you're kind of being led around mysteriously. Like that just, it seems like you're, you're setting yourself up to have a bad time, which she does. And, you know, like now she's too effed up to do anything about it, you know? Um, Well, but she's not like totally tripping balls though, is she? I mean, if she is, that was not conveyed to me. There's not a lot of POV, so we don't really know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, clearly, like, she seems, you know, you'd be traumatized anyway, I think, to see it happen. So we don't know how much, you know, the shrooms played into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, even with all the mention of shrooms, I just assume, like, maybe slightly more than a microdose, you know what I mean? Just to take the edge off a little bit. Um, and maybe that's why shrooms, you know, if she was like tripping on acid or something like that definitely wouldn't be a fun experience in this situation. Um, I mean, even the alcohol, man, like, I don't know. I mean, like the alcohol I get, you know, uh, like, I feel like that kind of, you know, that's going to loosen you up a little bit. (laughs) So, (laughs) 
so you can react or whatever. Um, takes it'll take the edge off. I I don't know if shrooms really take the edge off per se. Well, but uh, but on alcohol, she can't react quickly. If she's microdosing on shrooms, she can. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, I'm not talking from experience. I don't even know what a mushroom looks like. I'm just saying, uh, theoretically, this is what I would think. I I wouldn't if if you're trying to have any kind of clarity. <laughs> I think mushrooms probably the wrong way to go. Um, Listen, I had a dream one time where I took mushrooms, and I was very clear. <laughs> this is, of course, not a true story because I would never do such a thing. Yeah, no. I mean, like whatever. Different strokes for different folks. That's not what I would choose to do in this situation. Uh, but you know, whatever. Like I don't know. Maybe she just doesn't have agency in that moment and she's just kind of in a daze and being like led around and confused or you know she still trusts this guy that obviously seems like he's been a secret agent the whole time uh we'll get to that we'll get to that yeah can i just add though that she runs through like a whole text box full of uh journalistic influences and saying how important they were to her Mm mm-hmm She's meanwhile she's tripping balls on mushrooms and she <laughs> doesn't mention Hunter S. Thompson. Oh, well, I mean, she mentions Fight Club. Uh, I mean, what does that have to do with uh, with Hunter Thompson? How, how many how many millennials do you think know Hunter S. Thompson? Uh, I mean, I think you might be surprised. I, like, no fear and loathing, at least maybe. I don't know, man. I think uh, I, I understand what you're saying, and I would also be a little surprised if if Matthew Clixton didn't know Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, surely he does, but it seems to me like maybe the the segment of audience that he's talking about or talking to um, maybe wouldn't. Although, I mean, with, but they're big fans of Dorothy Parker and sure. H.L. Mencken. But but to go with that, with the number of literary references in here, uh, it seems to me like the average audience uh, wouldn't understand any of these references either, right? So throwing in Hunter S. Thompson would make sense. Uh, however, I think you're being biased because you're a Hunter S. Thompson fan. Yeah, whatever. Maybe I have a couple <laughs> Hunter S. Thompson tattoos and a license plate. <laughs> I'm just saying... It's a missed opportunity. Listen, and you're you're making like, fun you're making fun of the guy with the Paul Walker license plate and you have a Hunter S. Thompson license plate. <laughs> uh dude like A, he is an amazing journalist. Yes. Straight up for real. And yeah, like obviously I think that that speaks to whatever is happening here, you know? Like it's gonzo as f so mm-hmm. like uh, you know th- this is what she is doing uh yeah no i'm ridiculous whatever you know like, <laughs> i'm glad i got I, you to admit it i don't deny it but that doesn't mean it's invalid so true that's very yeah, true tweet at me <laughs> uh no that's a good point um before we get into the rest of the story you know what i find really interesting about this book and uh, I know that there's probably many people that are not reading this uh, solely based on um, – what, what's the word that Ronnie likes to use? Oh, God. 
I don't know. It, there's a lot of like morality play here, right? Like society sucks. Don't you realize society sucks? Uh, I'm normal. Everyone's fucking crazy. Hello. Like society sucks. Uh, and I wonder like how much of that is true now, right? Like for kids growing up now. Uh, cause I remember, and I'm, you're not much younger than me, so you probably remember also, but like mid to late nineties, like, this kind of attitude was just everywhere, right? Uh, you had like grunge music, you had, uh, movies like, uh, Dark City and 13th Floor and Existence and all that. Like that, that's the theme of all that stuff, right? And, and there were like, well, Fight Club, which is mentioned here. Um, that was kind of like the zeitgeist during like that short period of time. And, and I think what, at least what I'm seeing in this book is like a resurgence of that attitude. Where for a while we're like, oh, everyone has a computer at home. Oh, look, now we have phones in our pockets. Oh, now we have social media. Everything's so great. And then after a few years, you start to realize like, ah, oh, this stuff is not so great. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have any friends. I just spend all my day on Facebook or watching YouTube. Like, I don't have any personal relationships. Uh, and, and that kind of ties in with partially, at least maybe what these kids are doing. Uh, getting rid of adults at a somewhat young age. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, that's like a, a really central component of the book. And I think it's interesting, like, I, I feel like it pairs nicely with uh, bad reception mm-hmm. in a way. Like, like I feel like they, they're kind of approaching the same idea, which, which is like, you know, they talk about in this issue, like, the game of social media and it's a rigged game. And obviously like these kids aside from the, the ringleader, like they don't even talk, you know, they don't do anything. They're a bunch of idiots, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so that's obviously a pretty central theme that they're working towards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, also, you, you know, I think the, you know, the 40 year old age thing is you know an interesting component of it as well um and i i wish they were a little bit more specific about the rationale there because i feel like there are you know things that you could do to kind of actually like make an interesting argument you know like for example if they kind of pointed to uh you know climate change and, you know, climate change, the, the big obstacle really seems to be generational. And, like, all the power largely is held by, you know, people that are older towards, like, senior citizen age. Uh, and all of the people under 40 understand what's going on. And, it's like, they'd all be on board to address it, you know? Mm-hmm. So if it's, you know, something like that, or if it's just, you know, if you if it's coming from a resources and population angle and you, you do the numbers on what the population would be if you, if 40 is your max, you know, that, like that would be an interesting argument too. Hmm. I do wonder what the, uh, the demographic breakdown is by age. Let's look that up real quick. Uh, Cause I think that that's kind of an interesting point. Um, I, I, I'm not really all that confused by, uh, by why 40 is kind of the cutoff. Uh, I think maybe part of that has to do 
uh, with what I just mentioned briefly about, uh, you know, this, this attitude that seemed pretty pervasive in the mid to late nineties. And, and that would be people like right at my age level, right? I mean, I'm 38. So if you were born in 79 and up, like you're dying now. Uh, and, and part of that definitely has to do with like the, the fight the power kind of thing, right? Where you have a bunch of old men who don't know anything about anything that we are experiencing now, right? Or, or people in their twenties or even teens are experiencing now. Uh, I don't know if you watched like, for example, when they had, uh, Zuckerberg go to Congress and testify. Uh, the questions that are being thrown around, it's like none of these guys even know what a computer is, mm-hmm. right? Cause they don't understand what the hell any of this is about. Yeah. Uh, so I found the breakdown. Um, we'll do 35 and up cause the, the breakdown's kind of weird. Uh, the categories are 0 to 18, 19 to 25, 26 to 34, 50, uh, 35 to 54, and 55 to 64. Uh, so if you go 35 and up, that is 40% of the population. Oh no. And then there's a 65 plus. So. What did I just say? 49, 39. Uh, so 54% of the population is over 35. Yeah. So you Thanos it. You Thanos it. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, you know, from what I understand, that solves the problem. So. <laughs> uh huh. You got it. There's that bill. Uh, yeah, you're right. I'm sure there is a lot of uh, th- th- that's partially a component, right? Uh, I mean, it could be, you know, th- like there's, or you know, maybe they uh, they just hate the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> um, I found the uh, the the beginning flashback scenes. Uh, well, I mean, I guess some of them are flashbacks, some are not. Uh, kind of interesting and uh, and and really telling as to to the themes of this book as well. Um, cause I do feel like there are especially a lot of kids that feel that way. Um, I've watched like a, a few podcast or watched, listened to a few podcasts where they report on like some of this kind of stuff. And, uh, a lot of kids just don't know what the hell to do. You know what I mean? I think even more than like when we were kids, they're just really confused cause they don't have the interactions that we had. Uh, yeah. I, I, what's, what's in the first couple of pages there? It, oh yeah. The, she's, she's talking about like how she came up and became a reporter. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, and like, I don't know. People have for a long time been talking about, you know, the stunting uh, effects of like the internet, you know, mm-hmm. and how, how it's going to make us in a, unable to like communicate in person. Uh, you know, clearly there are, you know, some people that use the internet a lot or whatever, use social media a lot that are very social, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not of that age, so I don't necessarily know how, how that is, you know? Yeah. Like it's, a, it may, maybe it's just different. Like that's how they interact. And to them, it's as real as, you know, riding your bikes sure. with your friends, you know? Well, and it's interesting too that, uh, this book and shoplifters are coming out the same day because I felt like a lot of the themes in this issue also were reflected in what's happening in that book. Uh, obviously told in a very different, uh, style. 
But uh, the same kind of thing as well. You know, like you have the sheep and you have people that understand like the world's just kind of effed up and there's there's a better way to do things. Uh, but the, the question is like how how do you do things better when you have to live in this little bubble, right? You have to abide by certain rules and and live with people that don't see that at all. Yeah, no, I, I agree there's definitely, a, you know, some kind of conceptual overlap with uh, shoplifters mm-hmm. as well. Yes. How did you feel about um, the scene where they they sleep together? Because I, I had a, a couple issues with the scene. Not so much that they sleep together. I don't care. Uh, good for them. But, like, that whole thing happens, and she's still, like, kind of out of it, right? Because she's in the mushrooms. Um, but then like she gets up in the middle of the night and she's like, oh, I love you. And then when Martina comes up, he's like, Hey, I love you, but you know, we got to do this. Uh, like have, have they fallen in love in like this past week that this, she's been there? That seems a little odd. Boy. Yeah. I wasn't sure who said, I love you. Like she, she said at first it was her. Yeah. After they, after, I mean, he was asleep. Um, but she like got up to go to the bathroom or something and she's like, I love you. I was like, ah, seems odd. Yeah, no, that's that's odd, and uh, I had forgotten about that. Um, yeah, no, that's that's moving pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't don't know what's going on there. Clearly, so, there's a lot of moving pieces. How, how about this? Maybe maybe that has to do with the the whole not having enough like real life interaction. Where like as soon as she's got this moment of like legit intimacy while on mushrooms uh she's like holy crap like i love this guy right because she's never really maybe had that experience previously I, i'm it, major conjecture because we i don't think we know anything about her history before this right um especially not her love life but just a thought yeah i mean but also you know she's under very uh intense circumstances so mm-hmm. i don't know maybe that has something to do with it. I I found it odd, uh, you know, and maybe they'll address what is what was going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but uh, whatever it is, seems to you know maybe like speak to some trust, and obviously he's not been really forthcoming. Sure. So we get a big reveal in this issue that Martina is Cad's daughter, real life daughter. Which didn't really surprise me, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't know if I expected them to be related, but I felt like there had to be some sort of connection. Um, I didn't expect a daughter, but some kind of family member or like a a foster child or something, maybe. Like he he raised her. Um, Because you did have that flashback scene, right, Which, which they point to here. When uh, when he saves the baby, so I don't, I don't know. I I was surprised, you know. Yeah. Uh, like in retrospect, him advocating to save her when she fell, like that. Yeah, you know, I I don't know that I registered at the time that he was acting suspiciously. Uh, you know. To so me, well, to me, he's always it, been a little suspicious. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a little weird. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, the, the cool thing that I liked in this though is, uh, 
we we learn about the alpha tattoo and what it means, right? Because every time we see these adults, it seems like they're being forced into this, right? Like kind of like that Twilight Zone episode with the kid that controls people. Um, but he's different. And I don't know if it's because he's her dad that she made him this way. But he, he, unlike everyone else, he has a choice on whether he wants to die or not. So I guess, like, theoretically, maybe he could live past 40, but he's so bought into this ideology that he's just like, eh, why wait? Like, it's six months away. Let's just do it right now. Yeah, he, I mean, clearly he's bought in. You know, I don't know what what the mechanics of it are. Yeah, cool. But, I mean, else? maybe, I don't know, like... Maybe it's just that, yeah, to your point, I don't know if the tattoo would save him from being past 40 if he was just like, no, I'll, I'll choose to live. Mm-hmm. Or if basically it's choice between, like, die now or die in six months. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. You might be right. Either way, he, he he's all in on this, right? Uh, unless we get some kind of twist in five where, like, he's been playing along the whole time. <laughs> Ooh, the double twist? I don't know, man. <laughs> Mm, I, I don't know. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna co-sign that one. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not either. I would not like that. Hope that's not the case. Um, but you know, maybe she, maybe you snap him out of it or something. You, sure, like, maybe. Stub a cigar out on his arm and <laughs> like, oh, what? What was I saying? Yeah, maybe. Uh, we'll uh, we'll find out next issue, which I believe is the last. So, uh, pretty excited to read that. Uh, I think we can assume that uh, things go okay, uh, or rather, as best as they maybe could, because she's she's relating the story in the future, right? She's not telling us all the stuff in real time. It's like she's written a memoir or something. Um, so maybe she buys into it and actually starts spreading the message. Maybe that's that's the kicker at the end. Yes. Okay. So that actually points to something I was going to ask, like like. We'll obviously find out next issue, but I was wondering if, since she is going to experience this and it's addictive, whether she will be addicted by the experience and that will drive her to try and promote it, you know, to do what they want her to do, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm interested in that. And I guess, you know, the extension of that being if she writes something really persuasive could that be so persuasive that all of the olds just say like, oh yeah, uh, you know, that makes sense. We'll, we'll agree to die. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, other thought is um, just, you know, I assume they'll, they'll figure out the mechanics of how this is, you know, killing all of the over forties. Uh, so once they do that, uh, could you not wear earplugs or deafen yourself? <laughs> And, like, circumvent that? Do they have a plan B? I mean, I guess plan B would be to uh, go live in the woods with no internet or anything. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's auditory, so... Oh, that's you, right. I don't think that any, I don't understand necessarily, if you had no ears or something, what that would do to you. Well, I mean, there there are people that are deaf, Travis, and uh, they do just fine. Yes, they need to test it on deaf people. <laughs> uh, it wasn't that the uh, the the kicker in. Oh no, th- it was a blind girl. Uh, that movie Bird Box on Netflix. 
with uh, Sandra Bullock. Because you have to, I don't know if you ever saw that movie. You should. It's pretty good. Um, but there's these like Cthulhu demons that like possess people just by looking at them. Uh, it's way better than that, by the way. That's a, a terrible description. Uh, but there is, there is a blind character, uh, a few actually at the end. And obviously they can't be possessed because they can't see the image. Yeah. I, th- I think that is a, you know, not uncommon trope. Mm hmm. For for things that you know that take hold by vision or sound, you know, so so that the people that have this you know seeming disability actually are the ones that are empowered. Mm-hmm. So that's you know it's effective. Um, yeah. yeah, but I don't know. We'll see. We will see. Uh, I guess it's time for ratings. You first. Um. I'm going to stick with a four out of five. Yeah, I I think four out of five is good. Very good. That leaves us with uh, the final book of the night, and that is Shoplifters Will Be Liquidated, number three, written by Patrick Clinton with art by Stefano Simeon, letters by Hassan Osmani Elhau, and uh, that's it. That's the whole team. Mm -hmm. Tell me me about this book. This – all right. Let me me preface by saying I've really enjoyed reading this series – However, this this particular issue seemed to lose me at times. Hmm. Um, however, I really enjoyed it, and I think there were some hilarious scenes in here. Uh, even though maybe they're not like explicitly funny, but it's one of those things where like you're a little uncomfortable, and you're like, ha, 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 I'm going to laugh to make myself feel better at how ridiculous this world is. Uh, like, for example, the, the scene towards the end with, uh, the guy that runs the company, how he basically wants to make murder suicide legal so that mm-hmm. they can sell, like, murder suicide packages at the store. Cause why not? They sell everything else. Yeah. I mean, that's what I would, uh, obviously, that's the big takeaway from this. And it, you know, it begs the question, why isn't it just called shoppers will be liquidated? <laughs> Uh, I mean, so there's, there's a lot to unpack there and, you know, in no particular order, uh, you know, won't it hurt your, uh, long-term profitability, sustainability, if you are effectively killing your customers? Um, but I mean, they already do that. They do that, you know, like, I don't, I don't know that it's clear how widespread that is. You know, yes. Like, I would imagine it's going to be more widespread now that it's now that you can pay for it. I mean, maybe, but not necessarily. I mean, when they legalize weed in like California, does that mean that more people are smoking weed? I mean, I'm sure like new people tried it, but like people that were smoking are still smoking. I I would I can't imagine that less people would post post legalization for that but i don't i like i don't know if that's necessarily you know the that like a direct analogy um yeah it's it's a question of would those people have actually you know tried to kill themselves and succeeded if you hadn't basically taken their money for it and ensured that they would succeed i don't know is there a guarantee with this with this service that you will die. Well, it's not a service. It's just a package, right? Like, they're going to sell, uh, what was it? Like, razor blades and something else together. 
Uh, razor blades with instructions, like a, a gun and something. I don't remember what the exact packages were. Uh, he had a couple different ideas. Uh, all I'm saying is, like, I feel like just because they're pushing to make it legal and people have easier access to it does not necessarily imply that more people are going to do it. Yeah, I, I mean, I would assume that to the extent that they are marketing or advertising it, that that would have some kind of impact on on getting more people to buy in. I don't know. You know, like it's it's unclear, but it's maybe worth considering, you know. So so you build that into how you price it, you know. Mm -hmm. So if you price it in a way that, you know, makes sense for the, the loss of potential revenue from that customer, then that is something, you know, like, I, I guess I'm struggling with why, if you wanted to kill yourself, you couldn't go anywhere and buy a razor blade or whatever, you know, that's my point, a rope. That's my point. And that's maybe kind of his point. Like if people are going to do it anyway, why don't we just provide the service where we can make more money doing it? I mean, they're always going to have shoppers, right? This is the biggest store in the world. Everybody gets everything from this one store. So yeah. just because you can now buy a, a suicide kit doesn't mean that you're going to kill yourself, right? If you want to, there's the option. Yeah, oof, dude. Like, buy it and, like, send it to somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas. You can sell a lot of suicide kits. <laughs> Merry Christmas. But, uh, but, but what I found interesting is, uh, the motivation behind the package, right? Because we're still going with the, the side story of his divorce. So, and that's the reason why he wants to sell these kits. We already know he tried to kill himself in the first issue. Does he, does he feel like there's some kind of moral obstacle for him to actually go through with things? And that's why he wants to do this? Cause it seems personal, right? When, when he's, when we get that scene, he just got a text from his wife or soon to be ex-wife. Like, Hey, let's just end this amicably. Mm -hmm. And yeah. he's like, F this. We're going to do all these murder suicide packs. I mean, my read of the situation was that, you know, he, uh, you know, he, he was in a bad place and, you know, wanted to kill himself. And that experience, you know, woke him up to the, idea that that uh, like there's some appeal there or whatever um and like basically now he's he's over it you know mm -hmm. like i unless i i am remembering incorrectly like I, I feel like basically he's like yeah yeah whatever i don't care anymore y you know like so he's effectively trying to sell this suicide product that he no longer wants, you know, he's, he's willing to sell it to other people knowing that, you know, one circumstance or whatever could make you not want to kill yourself, mm -hmm. you know? So that speaks to, I think kind of the, uh, anti-corporate, you know, theme of basically selling people something that, you know, they don't need that will hurt or kill them, you know? Mm. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Uh, how'd you feel about the whole situation with, uh, Nussbaum? Uh, I think there's some really interesting things that are discussed on there. 
And I'm just not sure, like, what ultimately I should take out of that conversation. Because uh, we have this, like, basically breakaway civilization under the store, right, of ex-employees. And, and Nussbaum sees them all as criminals because they're, like, taking fabric from the fabric department for their, like, uh, Cirque du Soleil act or whatever. <laughs> uh, their, their meditation, their hanging meditation. Um, and the guy from this place is like, you know, he keeps calling them like, uh, I can't remember what the title was. Something like monks or, you know, ascetics or whatever. Ascetics. Yeah. Um, because like that's what they're doing, right? Like they're just hanging out upside down meditating basically. And, uh, and I'm not sure like what the commentary is on that, right? Like is, uh, is Patrick kind of saying like the world up uh, above ground is really shitty, but like it's not much better down here. I mean, I thought that they kind of portrayed it, you know, almost as kind of like a, like a confluence of like art and religion philosophy that, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like basically these people exist so that we can see them doing this thing that is the, the antithesis of productivity and consumerism, you know? Right. Like, so they, they're like taking themselves out of life in the workforce to, to show you that you don't have to live like that, you know? Right. But the thing is, who are they showing? Right, because the people that really need to get this message are not living on their ground. Yeah, I mean, I think they exist for the people that are already in that society. That you know, they don't all choose to live suspended from the ceiling. You know, some yes. choose to just have swinger parties or whatever. Sure, but but that's my point, though. You see what I'm saying? They're they're doing this for the people that live on the ground. Those people have already chosen not to participate in the system. So it's like you're preaching to the choir, right? Like, what's the point if you're if you're not really getting your message across to people that might need this or you feel might need this message, right? So to me, it seemed like the commentary is neither of these places are any good, right? Like, if you if you fully participate in the system, then you're just perpetuating it and not making it any better, right? You're making it worse. If you choose not to participate and hide underground uh quite literally uh you're also not doing any better right you might help yourself by taking yourself out of it but how does that impact the rest of your society it doesn't because they're not they're you, they're not seeing you do this hanging meditation or whatever the hell yeah i mean i i've said before that i i think both sides here are being heavily satirized they're mm-hmm. both ridiculous and the, you know, the society underground is as ridiculous in a different way as the one that's above ground. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that does play into that. Um, but I might argue that, you know, any aesthetics, sorry, aesthetics, uh, basically you could make a similar argument for, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, okay, great. You know, like you're, you're doing you <laughs> trying to, you know, achieve spiritual enlightenment, you know, and you exist, uh, on the, you know, the kindness of strangers. Cool. Sure. You know, good job. So, you know, in a way it's, it's not that far removed, but I think that is partially the point. Yep. I agree. What else do you have on this book? 
I don't have anything else. Okay, well, since you, you mentioned Nest Bomb, mm-hmm. like, I think it's a little um, intriguing what his appeal is to the people above ground. Oh, good point. I forgot about that. Yeah. You know, like, so Big Boss Man, either it could be that he wants to thank him, you know, even if he thanks him for a reason that you wouldn't expect or to punish him for, you know, like the, just the technicality of striking his superior or, uh, you know, because like all told he really wanted to die or whatever, you know? So I think that could go either way. I'm less clear about what the motivation is for these junior execs who are trying to, you know, do some kind of stock scheme. Um, I don't really like the dude wants him out of the way Mm -hmm. or whatever. Like he, I think he sees him as a liability, but then he says it's because he thinks he's gone undercover. Right. Uh, you know, I don't know that he's undercover, but there is certainly the possibility that, you know, now he's seeing all the, like he's seeing the truth. Mm-hmm. He he could come back and cause trouble, I, like so. That's kind of similar, but you know, not exactly the same as what this dude seems to be worried about. Yeah, I'm not quite sure, like what the exact role that Nussbaum is playing in that scheme, uh, and maybe the they're rel- the two things that you just mentioned are related, right? He wants to get him out of the way. That way, the big boss. Maybe has a breakdown and he can take over that job. Uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure. Uh, but he's definitely looking for a promotion, right? And he's bringing this girl along with him. Uh, he he explicitly mentioned that as early as the first issue. Yeah, I mean, he's like trying to uh, short the the stock. Mm-hmm. You know, like the if I remember correctly, they're trying to short the stock and then push the CEO off the cliff. Right. Which now doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Um, so I don't know what Nussbaum does in that, you know, like what his role in that plan is, but I'm sure we'll see. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. All right. Give me a rating, man. Uh, okay. Let me just, let me just add a couple more quick thoughts. Mm-hmm. One, is I I liked kind of the uh, the thing they were saying about getting rid of the security cameras because it actually oh, yeah. turned into more of a liability and they you know they'd rather rely on their corporate lawyers who who can you know just kind of outclass the people with, with who are working on contingency or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was an interesting exchange. Um, and uh, all right, I think I think I'm good. I, I had another thought, but I can't remember it. So, <laughs> all right, uh, all right, I'll I'll go I'll go another four out of five on this one. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I think I'm with you. I uh, before we started recording, I may have gone a little bit lower, but uh, after the discussion, we'll we'll go a solid four out of five. Nice. Okay, I remember my other thought. Yes, which is just uh kind of a throwaway, but in the exchange with the executives, the idea that they're disgusted by the consumers, mm-hmm. that they go down into the store and, and it disgusts them, you know, and I think that probably speaks to 
the idea of selling them a product that they wouldn't use themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, pretty good. Very good. Uh, next week, there are no books. What? Nope. No books next week. Not that I can no. see anyway. So uh, maybe if I if I am free, maybe we can catch up on some old stuff that we haven't talked about. I'm ready, man. Cool. You've been listening to the Aftershock Central Podcast. Thank you for hanging out. Of course, you can find Travis on Twitter, at The Great Magnet. Uh, Ronnie is on there sometimes. He is at Rumbar316. I'm at Geekvine. The show is at Aftershock Pod. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Shock the world! Oh.